millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I lived alone in an old house and had a creepy stay. Again, the house was old. A huge house built in 1915 and converted into apartments for World War one soldiers before they went overseas. I rented one apartment, about 1,000 square feet by itself, and the rest of the house was empty rooms and a giant staircase. As soon as I moved in, I met the next-door neighbor, Rebecca, who, about 30 seconds into the conversation, asked me if I knew the house was haunted. I laughed it off, but she insisted it wasn't safe. Wasn't worried, moved in, cleaned out a lot of junk, and fixed the place up as well as I could. Over the next few months, Rebecca and I ran into each other here and there, and each time she added to the story. Apparently, there was an old lady who lived in the apartment before me who never left, never opened the windows, and never cleaned. She died in the apartment, and there was an estate sale to get rid of some of her stuff. Rebecca told me during the estate sale she'd gone into the basement and regretted it. About a week later, I decided to go check out the basement. I think partly to prove to myself I wasn't concerned. I was also curious. I'm not superstitious and I don't believe in ghosts, but the occult is interesting to me. As soon as I stepped in the basement, I was creeped out. It smelled musty, but not like I have ever smelled before. 
Along the steps there were burned down candles that made bluish gray wax puddles. The basement itself had two huge water heater tanks, also covered in wax in an empty concrete floor behind the tanks that had nasty looking tiles around and more candles. Bizarre but not haunted. At this point I've lived in the apartment by myself for about three months without any problem. My car got broken into one night, but that wasn't surprising given the neighborhood. Nothing strange had happened until the night I checked the basement. At 4 a.m. I bolted awake because I heard something in my room. This was odd for me because I sleep like a dead man. Sat in bed for a minute, heard nothing, and went back to sleep. Around 6 a.m. I had a night terror, heard the noise again, and woke up but this time had sleep paralysis. I saw a black figure walk in my room and stop just inside the doorway. At this point, I think it's a robber, and I start trying to ask what he wants, but I can't speak or move. Nothing like this had ever happened to me before, and I was terrified. After the longest two, three minutes of my life, I willed myself out of sleep, and the whole atmosphere changed. No one was there. Nothing was out of place. No locks were broken nothing. I quickly got ready and showed up at work two hours before it opened. Over the next few weeks, I would hear the sound again here and there. It was a scratching and thumping sound, always very early in the morning. As soon as I would wake up, it would stop. Then one morning, it was especially loud, still dark outside 5 a.m. I heard it just behind the headboard of my bed. This time, I made sure I was totally awake. I laid perfectly still and didn't even breathe, and I heard it again now, fully awake. There was definitely something in my room. After the sleep paralysis imaginary robber episode, I had bought a kid's baseball bat and sat next to my bed for self-defense. Can't afford a gun. I picked up the bat and slid out of bed. Every minute or so, I would hear the rusting, scratching, thumping noise. It was in my closet. I stood outside the door, and my heart was pounding at this point. All the stories of the place being haunted, the creepy basement, the sleep paralysis episode, the weird early morning noises, all of it had built up in my mind and led to this moment. I was about to do battle with some evil force. I threw the door open and swung into the darkness, hitting nothing. I beat my clothes like a madman, but there was nothing in there. Then I heard a little scurry on the floor and saw something jump into one of my shoes. Upon closer inspection, it was a baby squirrel. I went outside later and found a hole in the roof. There was a family of squirrels living in my ceiling that was very active in the early morning, and one of the babies had somehow managed to find its way into my closet to scare the hell out of me. Not haunted, just squirrels. This happened around three years ago, and thinking about it still makes me feel uneasy. I live in a rural area surrounded by a nature conservation area. There are many nice paths, and it's a great peaceful and quiet place to go for walks, ride bikes. On this day, I decided to take my dog for a walk there in the evening. I didn't want to go that far. For some reason, I decided to leave my phone at home, even though I usually take it with me, just in case. Everything was going well, and, as usual, I barely met anyone. At some point, I got to my favorite spot, a wooded area. There is a field behind it, and I planned on walking all the way to the end. 
Then I wanted to turn around and take the same way home. As I continued walking after I made it through the wooded area, my dog started acting strange. She kept looking back and didn't want to go on. I thought she had spotted a deer or a rabbit and wasn't concerned. I didn't look around right away, but then she let out a little growl bark. I had never heard her do that before. I turn around and sure enough, there is a man standing on the edge of the wooded area field like maybe ten meters next to the path. He was fully clothed and didn't move. He was just staring at us. My heart was pounding. No matter where I would go, I would still be in a secluded area for a while. I didn't think and just started walking quickly towards the end of the field. My dog still wasn't having it. When I turned around after getting a bit further away, he had also moved. Now he was standing on the field, still staring intensely. That's when I really knew we had to get going. I didn't look back until we got to the end of the field. Because of some trees, my view was obstructed. I couldn't see him, and my dog seemed a bit calmer. Obviously, I didn't want to stop for more than a few seconds, though. From there on, I decided to take the, the path that would take me to some part of my town the quickest. We literally ran, and I was so relieved when we made it back to civilization. I have no idea what his intention was. I'm just proud of my dog for alerting me. I work as a security guard on the graveyard shift. I think most guards have all gotten the heebie-jeebies a few times on this shift. I used to work at a large, semi-well-known meat processing plant. I remember it was about 2 a.m. and I was making my inside rounds, and I was walking down the third floor hallway. The third floor is basically just a bunch of electrical access panels and storage rooms. There are a few offices up there, but for the most part, there's nothing special up there. So I'm going along checking that doorknobs are locked, etc., making sure nothing looks broken, etc., then my phone chimes. I'm like, who the F is messaging me this late? I pull out my phone and there's no message. I chalk it off as a notification for an app, but I don't see any notifications. Well, whatever, no big deal. Then about two minutes later, my radio turns on and I hear a static. Now this spooks me. No one else has access to radio at this point. I'm the only living human on the entire property, and all the other radios are under lock and key inside my guard check. Also, under lock and key, we wear a radio for formality, mostly. I can switch it to a different channel to talk with the one maintenance guy who's there, but he's not working this night, so it's like humming that's a little wired. I switch to that channel, and I say security to M4. Are you there? M4 equals maintenance, employee 4. There's three different guys that do it on a rotating schedule, but no reply. I hear the radio turn on again. This time it sounds like somebody is fumbling with the mic, but I can't hear any words. At this point I'm like, well, I guess I should go check it out. I make my way to the maintenance office. It's in the basement. The one place I don't like to go, because for one, I always get weird feelings going down the stairs. And two, the entire basement is just a bunch of access tunnels and generators. It's pretty much a maze just beckoning to get you to be lost in. 
So I go down there the whole time my radio is randomly turning on and shit. I get to the office and, as expected, it's locked, lights are off, etc. I breathe a sigh of relief and turn to go, thinking ill just write this down on the daily report as malfunctioning equipment. But as I start to almost walk around the turn in the hallway, I hear the sound of the maintenance door unlocking. I stop dead in my tracks and turn around. My heart is kind of beating harder at this point. I reach for my tase gun and ready it, aiming it out before me while I go back to the office. Lights are still off. Can't see a damn thing in there. For a food five minutes, I stand at the door questioning if this is worth it. Do I make enough for this kind of BS? What if there's a criminal in there? How would that even be possible? Did someone sneak up on me? Am I going to die in a minute? I finally said if it and pushed the door open and reached in and flipped on the lights. Nothing. No one is in there. I look under the desk, constantly on edge. I see nothing. I look at the desk surface, see if there's any notes, etc., but nothing. I start to sigh of relief, and then the lights suddenly turn off and the door locks itself. I freak the F out and switch on my mag light and swing around. As I'm swinging around, I see a shadow move away from the light. My eyes see it, and mentally I freak the F out, but I force myself to ignore it while I fumble to get my keys out to unlock the door. To do so, I have to turn the flashlight off so I have both hands. The whole time I have my back turned to the door. I feel like I'm being watched by something sinister. I eventually get the door unlocked and step out into the hallway. I turn around, flip the lights on, see nothing. Turn them off, shut the door, and lock it. I look at my watch. It's like 2.30 a.m.-ish. I lean up against the hallway wall, breathing heavily. My mind replaying everything in my head, trying to figure out what the EU have just happened. I eventually give up and hurriedly make my way back to the first floor. I get back to the first floor, and at this point I have no desire to go back to the third floor. I can do it some other time. So I eventually make it to the exit, and just before I walk out the door to go outside to my guard shack, the radio turns on and there's some static, and I faintly hear someone laugh. Just a short like, ha-ha. And then it's dead. I yank my radio out of my pocket clip and look at it. I go to turn on the mic to say like F you or something, but my radio's totally, utterly dead. I live in North Texas near a large wildlife refuge in a lake bigger than my hometown. One night I had a fantastic idea to go down the long gravel road to the dock with a female friend of mine. I'm from Texas, so I usually carry, but opted to leave my gun locked in the glove box by the gate. About 30 yards into the trek, the road was about 200 yards to the dock. I hear an unnerving noise on my left. It was as if the earth itself growled and rumbled at me. I looked around frantically, trying to pinpoint the sound. Nothing. We stood still, waiting for it to resume. Instead, we heard just heavy footsteps, not crashing or rustling like a bear or a pig does, but heavy pacing. I turned to my friend and asked if she wants to go back. She didn't know, but wanted to get out of there. So we keep on our journey to the dock with the unnatural growling, rumbling following us, coupled with the heady paces. 
I'm terrified by this point, instinctively reaching for my right hip to find a blank space where a holster should be. I had left my pistol locked in the glove box. I grab my pocket knife and palm it aggressively. The rumbling continues, almost impacting the air with its weight. We hasten our pace, and it matches ours, but never coming out of the woods to show itself. This continues for about 300 yards. The entire time, I am absolutely terrified. I've been hunting and camping since I was six, and I've never heard a sound like this one, or even had an experience similar. Finally, arriving to the dock, she sprints out to the edge, and I grab a handful of rocks and go sit beside her. For the next 15 minutes, it circles the area around the dock landing, emanating the rumbles and growls. Nothing we can do. It's dark. I have no firearm, and we can't see it. I call my buddy Dennis, who lives five minutes away. The rumbling and pacing continues, roughly 30 to 40 yards away from us but it doesn't step foot on the dock. Finally, I see headlights come up over the trees and the rumbling fades into darkness. Dennis comes walking down, cradling a rifle, and that was the end of that. Really freaked me out for a couple of months. I'm a believer in cryptozoology now. I don't know if Bigfoot exists, but something does that may be similar, especially considering most cultures have their monster. Normally, I get off work right around 10 p.m. This was at night when I saw this. I'm also going to leave my name out of this just in case it could hurt my law enforcement credential. I don't know what I saw, but it was some sort of canine. I was driving down an isolated road that leads to one house on the other side of the hill. I haven't seen any cars or people on this road. It's more of a way for me to get home quicker without having to go all the way around by using this nifty shortcut. But as I'm coming up the hill on my way home, something in the middle of the road catches my eye. Well, it was more so on the side of the road, trying to make its way towards the middle. Before I even had time to think about stopping or barely swerving, whatever it was was already up against my car with its front paws and claws up against the hood. This thing was huge. I slammed my gas pedal, hoping it would get out of the way, but I began hearing this little rumbling noise, like this dog growling at me. So, I got out of there fast. This thing went down and on all fours from two and was now running alongside my car for a little bit, before dropping back down behind me, disappearing into the darkness. Everything about this thing was huge. I can't get over it. It had massive legs and were just big. The entire body was big. Its head was huge. It had a very long snout and pointed ears. It looked kind of like a wolf, but different. The largest wolf I've ever seen. And those eyes, its eyes, were from a whole other world. They were bright red. Thanks for listening to my story. Feel free to share it if you'd like, as long as you keep my name out of it. I patrolled the vast expanse of Yellowstone National Park, a place of breathtaking beauty and tranquility. But lately, an eerie sense of foreboding had settled over the park, leaving everyone on edge. Reports of strange sightings and unsettling events flooded in, spreading like wildfire. 
whispers of the Mothman had taken hold, fueled by stories shared on Reddit. As a park ranger named Ray, I prided myself on my rationality and level-headedness. I didn't easily succumb to stories of cryptids and supernatural beings. However, as the days went by and more sightings piled up, even my skepticism began to waver. The Mothman, according to the Reddit threads, was a winged creature associated with impending disasters. Its ominous presence often served as a harbinger of tragic events. I tried to dismiss it as nothing more than folklore, but the growing tension among the park staff hinted at a collective fear. One night, under the watchful gaze of a full moon, when I embarked on my usual patrol, the air crackled with an electric energy, and a thick fog enveloped the trees, lending an eerie atmosphere to the park. I glanced around, my senses on high alert. And then I saw it. A silhouette emerged from the darkness, the unmistakable shape of a winged creature. Its eyes glowed with an otherworldly intensity. The Mothman adrenaline surged through my veins as I fumbled for my camera, desperate to capture evidence of this elusive creature. Before I could steady my trembling hands, the Mothman lunged at me. Its wings flapped with a thunderous roar, and I staggered backward, my heart pounding in my chest. It tackled me to the ground, but before I could react, it swiftly disentangled itself and took flight. Disappointment washed over me as I scrambled to my feet, my camera now a useless weight in my hands. I watched as the Mothman disappeared into the night, leaving me with a mixture of awe and frustration. The encounter had been brief, yet it confirmed the existence of this enigmatic cryptid. As the days turned into weeks, the park staff continued to report unusual occurrences, mysterious accidents, unexplained phenomena, and an overwhelming sense of unease weighed heavily on our minds. The Mothman sightings had become more frequent, intensifying the sense of impending doom. I realized then that my skepticism had been shattered. The Mothman was no mere folklore. It was a part of Yellowstone's dark tapestry. I delved deeper into the Reddit threads, searching for answers, desperate to understand the cryptid's purpose and the impending disaster it seemed to foretell. In the end, despite my efforts, the catastrophic event that had been lurking on the horizon arrived. A violent earthquake shook the park, unleashing chaos and destruction. Buildings crumbled, trees splintered, and panic gripped both visitors and staff. As I surveyed the aftermath, I couldn't help but wonder if the Mothman had come to warn us, or if its presence had somehow triggered the calamity. The answers remained elusive, lost in the chaos that had engulfed Yellowstone. This happened about 15 years ago back in Mexico. Me and my dad, along with some friends, were out in the woods gathering firewood. A old dirt road used mainly by cattle and ranchers. No other traffic that far out. Ten minutes later, this nice new truck with tinted windows coming from the opposite direction stops maybe 25 feet in front of my dad's truck. We could hear somebody crying in the truck, most likely a woman, but I'm not sure. But me being like 10 didn't think much of it and continued to grab fallen branches. The truck just stopped, but no one got out of the vehicle. 
My dad told us that it was enough for the day and it was getting dark. All the older guys in the group seemed to know something was up and jumped in a truck in a hurry. I even got my finger smashed on the door because of it. But again, I didn't think much of it, aside from my finger getting bloodied. I remember my dad driving fast. They talked and murmured, but it was grown-ups talk to me, and all I could think of was my finger and the pain. When we got back to the town, my dad pounded a few beers, and they talked. Several years later, when I was in my early twenties, that memory came back, and I connected the dots to what we witnessed. I never felt so much fear in my life before. To this date is the scariest thing that ever happened to me. I don't have the guts to bring it up to my dad, but I'm pretty sure that it was some sort of cartel-related deal. But for some reason, they decided that we didn't see anything. Also, this is because back in the day and in my area, you never really heard of crime like that. The only crime was cartel on cartel super-secretive crime. So I'm sure that whoever was inside probably had something to do with them if it was cartel-related. But I can only imagine what my dad felt having me and his friends with him there and seeing something that we were not supposed to see. It could have gone terribly wrong for all of us. I used to work at a weather station in northern Canada. It was a 24-hour place, so it was manned round the clock and often by someone who was awake. I worked nights many, many times, and I didn't see much creepy stuff, but heard a lot. Fairly nearby was a place where a couple of local guys housed their sled dog teams. You'd hear them yipping and barking now and then, and it was quite routine. Other times it was apparent that a bear or wolf was over there and bugging them in their cages, because it was a lot more than normal barking. It was the sound of shit scared dogs freaking out. I only heard this next thing happen one time, but pretty clearly something had gotten in there and killed at least one dog. I heard the sound of a living critter screaming while it was being killed, and it totally knew it. There's no other way to describe it. If you heard it, you'd know. I walked with cautious excitement through the old Comanche reservation. My name is Jose, a young Comanche Native American archaeologist deeply connected to the rich history and spiritual traditions of my people. Today I had stumbled upon a burial ground that had been concealed from us for centuries. As I brushed away the dirt and leaves, I uncovered ancient texts etched onto weathered stones. The symbol spoke of a forgotten era revealing a harrowing tale of an unknown predator that had ravaged our ancestors 200 years earlier. The text spoke of its monstrous features, a beast with antlers, a snout, and six terrifying legs. The predator's insatiable appetite for blood left our people in fear and despair. Intrigued, I delved deeper into the mysterious history of our tribe. However, with every step, I couldn't shake the feeling that unseen eyes watched my every move. Strange occurrences surrounded me, the whispers of the wind carrying warnings that echoed through the trees. It wasn't long before I realized that the unknown predator described in the text was not just a relic of the past. It was real, and it was pursuing me relentlessly.
Fear coursed through my veins as I witnessed its monstrous presence in deep woods while I was hunting, its antlers piercing the night sky and its six legs propelling it with unimaginable speed. Determined to protect my people and unveil the truth, I embarked on a perilous journey. Armed with knowledge and guided by the spirits of my ancestors, I sought to confront the predator head on. It was a battle of survival, a clash between human will and primordial terror. After many heart-stopping encounters, the ultimate twist revealed itself, a betrayal that cut me to my core. Our tribe leader, the one in whom I trusted and respected, had concealed dark secrets that were meant to stay buried. The predator, it turned out, was somehow linked to our own people's history, a curse that had been hidden for generations. With clarity, I understood that the responsibility to end this cycle of fear and betrayal fell upon my shoulders. Armed with my ancestral bow and arrows, I faced the predator in a final showdown. Adrenaline surged through my veins as I unleashed a barrage of arrows, each one finding its mark until the beast finally fell. As the life drained from its monstrous form, it vanished before my eyes, leaving behind only a lingering sense of victory mingled with sorrow. I had fulfilled my duty, but the wounds of betrayal ran deep within my soul. In the end, I emerged from this terrifying ordeal with a newfound strength and resilience. The burial ground, once shrouded in darkness, had now been exposed to the light. I vowed to protect my people and ensure that the sins of the past would never haunt us again, for it is through the wounds of betrayal that we learn the power of our own spirit and the strength to build a brighter future. I am a biologist, and one of the perks of the job is being able to see some remote and spectacular places that people don't see very often. Part of my work involves collecting insects from remote waterholes out in the middle of Australia, a few hundred kilometers north of Uluru. One of the ladies I work with, Alice, lives out there full-time, spends a lot of time out bush, and has spent a lot of time with the local Aboriginal people, so she has a trove of stories and weird experiences. But I'll just tell you about the one I had. So as I said, I visit a lot of waterholes out there. Being a very arid region, these waterholes hold great spiritual and cultural significance to the indigenous people. Most, if not all of them, are sacred in some way, and they all have traditional stories attached to them. So one day, four of us headed out to this particular site, a full day of heavy four, wheel driving through the Fink Gorge. We get there not long before sundown, and as we pull up, there is a black dingo standing in the spot we are going to camp. He stares at us for a bit, then disappears off into the bush as they do. This in itself isn't weird. Plenty of dingoes out there, and they come in a range of colors. Not that common to see a black one, but they are around, so that's fine. We set up camp, have a nice night of looking for pythons and drinking wine. Yep, biologists. We slept in swags, kind of like a tent that just fits a sleeping bag and sometimes has a little fold-up netting bit so you can sit up in there. It was really windy that night, so no problems with spooky noises, and I went to sleep pretty quickly. 
That night I had a really vivid dream about the black dingo coming into camp, sniffing around my swag and scratching at the netting trying to get in. It bothered me and I woke up but went back to sleep pretty soon after. Still not so weird. We woke up in the morning, did our sampling, packed up camp and started off on the long drive back to town. After we have been driving for a bit, Alice starts talking about how seeing the black dingo at the campsite when we got there really freaked her out. She didn't say anything earlier because she didn't want us to be spooked. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Turns out that in the traditional folklore, that water hole is protected by a black dingo spirit. The last time Alice camped there with other people, one of them had a dream that a black dingo came up to their swag and started attacking her. This lady woke up with long, deep scratches all over her face and no reasonable explanation for them. I had no idea of this story before I had the dream and didn't mention it to anyone that morning. There is definitely a special feeling to a lot of these places. Very hard to describe. When you're out in this country, these kinds of weird, semi-spiritual coincidences are commonplace. I have some more stories, but I'm typing on my phone and my thumbs are sore. Three teenage witnesses were playing basketball from 6 to 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning. The weather was clear and sunny and they were across the street from a fire station in Fairview, New Jersey. While walking back to a friend's home, the reporting witness noticed that the area was empty of cars and people when normally there would be 50-100 people in the park. The witness stated that he observed rainbow colors out of the corner of his right eye. When he looked, he saw a shining silver metallic saucer with round tinted windows. He alerted his two friends who also saw the craft. He heard and felt whirring air and a roaring sound. His shirt was flapping as if in a five-mile-an-hour wind, but there was no wind. They were paralyzed and could not run. They later arrived back at his friend's home with no memory of walking there. The witness discussed the incident with two friends, both now deceased, and they had no memory of being on the craft as he did. He recalled seeing them on operating tables, but he was standing approximately 30 feet away. The craft appeared larger inside than outside, possibly 400 feet across. About 25 creatures, approximately 4 feet tall, were present, with about 10 to 15 around him, and the rest around his friends. The creatures were gray in color, with large round heads and large black eyes. The creatures were touching him all over. They were speaking telepathically and were surprised when they realized that he could hear them. His mother had previously told him that psychic abilities were common in their family, but he had never really believed it. He asked why they were there. His impression was that they were friendly and curious and meant no harm. 
He believed that they were trying to help his two friends who both had heart problems, and he believes that their lives may have been extended by the aid rendered on the craft. He remembers looking out the window and down onto the basketball court where they had been playing. He could see other beings moving about in long corridors. He remembers seeing the craft ascend after they had been returned. It moved up and to the right, then left, then up and away, leaving a rainbow colored trail behind. When he returned to his home, his mother said he seemed changed, and he replied, It's no big deal, Mom. Before this report, he had only confided this story to his two daughters because he did not feel that anyone would believe him. I wasn't alone. I was working on a shrimp boat that was out to sea. Unbeknownst to me, most of the coastal shrimpers just go out for the day. For reasons unknown to me, our captain took us way the F out there. I think he said something about trying out new shrimping grounds. Anyway, we were heading into a storm. Turned out to be a Cat 2 hurricane. And the boat was rocking. We got our rescue here, eh, and waited for the inevitable. It never came, but none have slept that night. It was eerie passing through the eye, totally calm while everything else raged around us. We had all made our peace. The next morning we had either gone through it or we came back the way we came. Either way, we were on the edge of the storm. The captain was tired, so we took the day off. The first mate and I sat on the deck for a fair bit of the day watching the last of the hurricane and the start of a new storm. We thought we had this smaller storm beat. We lowered the boom masts again and braced for heavy seas. The first mate brought along a bunch of weed and taught me how to roll a joint in your hand and how to smoke it. By this time, as was getting late in the day and the storm was getting more energetic. Lots of thunder and lightning. We could see the reflective light and hear the thunder so we knew it was at least ten miles out. The first mate, who was pretty stingy otherwise, rolled me a big old fat joint and told me to enjoy it. Of course I was in hog heaven. It never occurred to why this skinflint was sharing all this with me. He absolutely didn't have to, hadn't before, and wouldn't afterwards. At some point it dawns on me. So I ask why now and not last night when I was wholly terrified in a life vest and hive-his ocean survival suit thing. He points off in the distance, and I see a little itty-bitty funnel cloud. Looks like a tornado. In the open water, they're called water spouts, and they're just as dangerous. So I get kind of worried. The first mate laughed and said, look around. There were at least 13 water spouts within a few miles of us. The first mate wasn't watching the storms. He was watching these water spouts pop up every so often, getting a little closer each time. By now, the captain is awake, and we're booking it anywhere but where we were. By the time all was said and done, we had gotten passed by three different spouts, got a rain of sand dollars, jellyfish, and a load of other ocean goodies. We had one go directly over us and touched down ten yards from the deck. I was scared of the hurricane, but these salty dogs were totally and completely terrified of the water spouts. It was, and is by far, the creepiest thing that's ever happened to me. Noises in the woods being followed by a black bear are all upsetting, but for some reason being in that boat at that time got under my skin. 
I am in the army and while training in Hohenfels, Germany. Our platoon was sitting on a screen line conducting an area reconnaissance mission. During the night, the guy on guard heard someone bang three times on the left side of the Bradley, which doesn't make sense because you would need another large metal object to make such a noise. Less than five seconds later, he heard the same three knocks on top of the turret. A few seconds pass and a high-pitched tone comes through the headset with three knocks on the back door of the Bradley along with someone screaming, Hey, let me in! This wakes me and one other up and we open the door, thinking it's someone in our platoon who is trying to get in touch with us. There was only complete darkness. We waited about 30 seconds. Geared up and checked a 15 semicircle around our Bradley, finding nothing. We get back inside and every fault light in the turret is on with some blinking. They don't blink ever. The radios were also completely dead. We restarted the turret and everything worked fine called over the net to see if anyone was near our area and no one was. Next day we asked the OOCs, essentially referees, and no one else was out the night prior. Shortly after, we discovered an old tank half buried and rusted out near our position. We came to the conclusion that it must have been ghost Nazis. This happened about six months ago. Bit of background, I've grown up on boats and beaches. Family have always had a boat and I have always fished. However, this story didn't happen when I was out in the ocean. I was at a friend's house just after the moon had risen. It was a fairly bright night as I was sitting with a group of friends on a beach house deck. Anyway, none of us had actually taken any drugs or started drinking yet. We had just gotten back to the house. I remember looking out at the view of the beach and the moon. The bright moon was shining a fairly wide path from just below it, across the water and onto the beach, but all the other water was dark. You can imagine it like this. Although you could see the occasional wave break as a white wash caught some light. Anyway, I noticed a red light going from left to right. This is strange because a starboard green light should have been showing on that side of any boat at a cracking pace, like it looked like some serious type of speedboat flying. I pointed this out to my friends, and a few of us noted how quick and smooth this boat was flying across the bay. It eventually moved near the light of the moon, and as we all watched it fly past it, it was literally just a red light, like a giant red ball. As soon as it hit the other side of the moonlight, it disappeared. I kind of assumed it was a drone, but it was seriously quick. It disappeared and was a long way out skimming what looked very close to the water on a surf beach. If anyone actually got this far, thanks for reading. The names in the following account are changed to avoid criminal prosecution. Both I and the man who told me of the incident are holders of now inactive top-secret clearances issued by Department of the Navy's Central Adjudication Facility. I don't know if the details of the incident are still classified. This is why I've changed the names. I apologize in advance for the cryptic nature of the story. However, I have known this man, I'll call him Jim, and served in combat with him for many years. I have and will stake my life on his integrity. 
people have been misled to believe that these are animals. So it's okay to kill them. Some time ago, Jim was sent on a tad temporary additional duty to a unit in Alaska. Most of the time, they were spent on field daying at this or that location, sitting around and passing scuttlebutt rumors about the nature of their purpose there. The official title is simply Security Force Training was conducted on Target Acquisition Field Navigation and Winter Survival Alert. Drills were called almost daily. Jim and his platoon responded to the alert as always. Only this time the truck they had boarded started pulling out. He said they rode from 15 to 20 minutes to get up there in the middle of a huge valley, at which point they were told to follow an officer and a civilian guide. He and the others walked quickly at first for about a mile and then were told to be quiet. They're also told to check their weapons. Standard M16s of fours, and one guy had an M40 and a 762 by 50 one-millimeter bolt-action rifle. They were told they were there to kill an animal that was a threat to the compound and local residences. Jim told me that he had been on edge until that point because he didn't know what they were up against, but that a hunt for a bear or something was a relief. They spread out in a skirmish line and moved forward slowly and quietly with the guide about 20 yards in front of them. They had advanced that way about 150 yards when the guide stopped. They were just inside a tree line on the edge of a large meadow. As the line got to the guide, Jim said he saw what looked like a dark brown bear about another 50 yards into the meadow. The officer pointed to the bear and indicated that there was their target at that point. He and the others cycled the bolts on the rifles and took aim. That's when the bear stood up, only it wasn't a bear. He said it was about six feet tall with wide flat shoulders, not the sloping shoulders of a bear, and the legs were too long to be a bear. Its head was humped and it had a long and it had long arms that turned its head and looked at them. No one fired a shot. The thing grabbed something off the ground and started running away. That's when he saw the second one, smaller, in his words about maybe four or five feet tall following the big one. They were quick too. The officer in charge hollered shut and we opened fire. The first to go down was a smaller one. The big one stopped while still under fire and went back to the small one, dropped to a knee and let out what Jim described as the cry of a mother over her dying child. I saw the hair on his arm stand up when he said, I kid you not. The rest of the story was told to me with his head down, unable to look me in the eyes. We stopped firing when the mother cried out, but the officer ordered us to kill it, so we resumed fire. The mother refused to leave the down child and took what he said was around 90 to 100 more rounds, and she finally went down. No one moved forward, but they stopped firing and reloaded. He said... We held our position for, I don't know, about ten or so more minutes. That's when the officer started to walk toward it. The guy told him to stay there, wait, and give us some time to be sure it was dead. About an hour passed with no one talking. He said we couldn't even look at each other. My gut was churning the whole time, and I wanted to throw up. Finally, the guide and the officer walked to the bodies and confirmed the kill. The rest of the platoon were not allowed to view the bodies, but were ordered back to the truck. On the way back to the compound, he saw other military vehicles heading toward the site, but they weren't from his compound. 
He said, I don't know where they came from. I mean, we were the only military in the area. Upon returning to the compound, he and the rest of the platoon were debriefed one by one and told not to talk to anyone about the mission under threat of a life sentence in Leavenworth. Both Jim and I retired, and both our wives had passed, so we don't have much to lose. It took a couple of shots of Jack, Daniels, and some other war stories to get to this one, but I swear every word is true. Jim doesn't lie, and neither do I, and I'll have words with any man who says this didn't happen. People need to know these are not animals. They are just as human as you or me. I don't know how they came to be, and I don't care. I just want people to know. I woke up to the sound of footsteps outside my bedroom door. My heart was pounding as I tried to listen carefully. The footsteps seemed to be getting closer. I was paralyzed with fear, wondering who could be walking around my house at this time of night. I quietly slipped out of bed and peered through my bedroom door, trying to catch a glimpse of whoever or whatever was walking around my house. But the darkness was too thick and I couldn't see anything. Suddenly I heard a loud creaking noise, and I realized that someone was opening the door to my bedroom. I didn't know what to do. Should I run or confront the person? But as the door opened, I saw nobody there. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up, and my heart was racing even faster than before. I slowly walked towards the door, trying to be as quiet as possible. My hands were shaking, and my mind was racing with fear and confusion. Was this a dream, or was someone really in my house? As I stepped out of my room, I could hear a strange noise like a soft whisper coming from the darkness. It sounded like someone was breathing heavily right outside my door. My heart was pounding so hard that I couldn't think straight. I stumbled backwards and ended up falling down the stairs. I felt myself tumbling downwards, seemingly in slow motion, until I hit the bottom with a loud thud. I looked up to see a shadowy figure standing over me, and my heart stopped. I couldn't move or scream. The figure slowly started to take shape, revealing itself to be a person, but their face was completely covered. I couldn't see who it was, but I knew I was in danger. I tried to crawl away, but the figure caught up to me and reached out, grabbing me by the hair. I screamed in terror, but no sound came out. I felt like I was drowning in my own fear as the figure slowly dragged me towards my bedroom. That was the last thing I remembered before waking up in the hospital. The doctors told me that I'd suffered a concussion, but I couldn't help thinking about who or what had come into my house that night. The memory of those footsteps, the whispers in the darkness, and the figure that had haunted my nightmares ever since has never left me. To this day, I still wonder what could be lurking in the shadows of my home, waiting to strike again. First time hunting, about six years ago in my early twenties, I was with two friends from high school that I hadn't seen in a few years. One of the guys, say his name is Freddy, had gone silent on me and my other friend, let's say Jacob. Freddy came back into town and went drinking with Jacob. Jacob calls me, saying Freddy is back and wants to go camping. Turns into hunting pretty quick. Here's the weird part. 
Freddy had this unmistakable scar over his eye like he'd been in a fight with a guy and like the movies. The knife was pressed down. I'd asked Jacob and he hadn't checked as to why. But we found out pretty quick the guy was nuts, so who knows? Freddy says he remembered hunting there with his dad. Mind you, we were supposed to be camping. He said the location was just up the way. A few shots of tequila and about five more just up the ways and Freddy stops. He looks back. I realize it's twilight and darkness is falling on us fast. Freddy, Jacob, I think this is where it happened. Jacob looks back at me, bewildered. Jacob, what's that man? Freddy, where it almost killed me. About that time, the tequila buzz amped up and I laughed out loud. Turns out Freddy didn't like this and took off running. We try to catch up, but he's like gone, gone. So drunk Jacob and I had to pop open our easy set-up tent and stay the night in Bumfuck, Montana. Jacob and I start talking about Freddy, his history, the I, and where the F he went to. Throughout the night, we heard what we thought for sure was him. Same cough and all. We start laughing about old times and must have passed out. I hear a zipper and see a dim light through the film of the tent. It's Freddy. Hey, guys, get the fup. I'm freaking out. Buzz had worn off, but Jacob and I were totally confused. Freddy, my friend Sam doesn't believe me when I tell him I got friends. Or something to that effect. Sam turned out to be a deep woodsman from the backcountry. A true hillbilly hick in every sense. Dude smelled like compost, and I couldn't see much of him, just silhouette. Jacob pulls a gun and tells them to... F off. We get out, leaving everything behind. I was still a bit too drunk to process what happened. The sun comes up and we hit the main road again after what was probably two hours of walking. I sober up completely and Jacob tells me something that I still remember. He said he never drank the tequila. Only I did and that when I started rambling all weird, he knew Freddy had slipped us something. Freddy never had a friend with him. Turns out I hallucinated it. I guess he had slipped me something that made me hallucinate all the conversations and everything. The one accurate part I got right was Freddy had taken off running, but it wasn't long. He came back telling Jacob he let us out there to hunt us and wanted us to run. Jacob pulled his gun. He had packed against my wishes and freaked old Freddy out and he ran off for good. It was a rough end to what was a decent friendship in school. No telling what his scar was from and what happened to him, but we clearly lost all contact, and I bought Jacob a real shot of tequila after we got back into town the next weekend. He saved me. The kicker was he didn't even have any bullets in the gun. He said he forgot to load it. Still freaks me out. A few years ago, my wife and I were living near Laneville, Texas, which is located in Rusk County on farm to market route 225. My wife loves gardens, and we always had a chicken pen. Our adult children enjoy the garden produce and the fresh eggs from our hens. We lived this way for many years after we moved there in 1981. We had no intention of ever going back to the big city. The incident that I'm writing about happened in 2015, and it signaled the end of our chicken business. Each morning, I have to walk down to the chicken pen that was 150 feet behind our house. 
After I fed the chickens and checked their water, I headed back to the house to eat breakfast. I had guns, but I never carried one around our own property. At that time, we had a terrier who went everywhere we did. She had never shown any inclination to be afraid of anything. But on this day, I was in the middle of my chores, when the terrier stopped dead still. She was fixed on something beyond the tree line behind the chicken pen, and the hair on her neck and back stood straight up. She was frozen in place and didn't move a single muscle. I shifted my gaze to the tree line, and what I saw caught my breath. I knew I was looking at something I had never seen before. This thing apparently had been walking just outside the tree line, and it stopped when we did. It seemed to be the size of a wolf. Its head was light gray, and there wasn't a single hair on its body. Its rear legs made it appear as though it could easily walk on all fours or stand upright like a man. The tail was the same length as its body, and from where I stood it looked like a dog until it turned revealing a head that looked more like a feline than a canine. With similar short pointed ears, the eyes were something unworldly. They were bright blue and bored into us for about fifteen seconds, showing no sign of fear. It then turned and walked to the woods and out of sight. I tried to make sense of what I had just witnessed as I hurried and tossed the chicken feed into the pen. I realized that the terrier had already hightailed it back to the house ahead of me. Over breakfast, I told my wife about the encounter, and from that day onward, the terrier would not go near the chicken pen unless she was with me. Even then, she stayed behind me, always watching the woods. I did, too. It's strange how random things can suddenly make sense once you see a connection. A few weeks later, a feral dog got into the pen and was trying to kill a chicken. I was going to gather eggs, and ever since the strange encounter that day, I had begun carrying a rifle with me. I shot the dog, got a shovel, and dug a hole behind the pen. The feral dog was the size of a large collie and must have weighed 80 or so pounds. I had to drag the carcass to the hole and roll it in. After burying the dog and securing the pen, I went back to the house, and that was the end of it, or so we thought. Two days later, while feeding the chickens, I noticed something odd behind the pen. I walked around to take a look. What I found was a hole two feet across right where I had buried the dead dog, and the carcass was gone. There were no drag marks or whatever it was. It was big enough to pull a body up out of the dirt and carry it off without leaving a trail. I searched all over the back of our property and never found anything that would suggest some sort of scavenger was at work. My wife and I were the only ones who knew what I had buried back there. The next morning, when I went to feed the chickens, it looked like a crime scene. They were all dead, and their headless remains were scattered about the pen. The rooster had been tossed twenty feet from the ground into the top of a persimmon tree. Oddly enough, given the scale of the carnage, there was not a single drop of blood anywhere. The gate was latched, and there was no hole in the fence or signs of something that gained entry by digging under the fence. But the killer had left some evidence behind. There were footprints and deep gouges made by three long claws that were estimated to be two and a half inches long. I drove over to my neighbor's house and asked him to have a look at the tracks. He was a hunter who was born and raised in the area, but even he was stumped. 
He suggested we call a friend of his who was a constable and another longtime resident. He looked at the tracks and examined the dead chickens. After he noticed the dead rooster dangling in the tree, he warned us not to go out at night without a gun. We decided not to replace the chickens. Not long after that incident, we moved to another location. We just didn't want to cross paths with whatever was lurking around the property. I live in Michigan and regularly go out trapping or coyote hunting. One day I'm taking a longtime friend hunting for the first time. He lived out of state so he wasn't familiar with the area and its types of people and habits, so to speak. Anyways, we were walking along and... Unfortunately, the coyote spot I usually used had now been useless after so many uses of traps and shots taken, so we went a bit deeper to look for a better spot. The coyotes had a den and some lowlands and thick brush. I don't usually go out there, but I didn't want my friend's first hunt to be a boring one, so we pressed on. After a bit of walking, my friend noticed a blood trail, and I assumed another hunter hit and wounded one. I figured we would track to make sure it didn't suffer, so we followed the blood trail. The strange part was we didn't notice any tracks, and it was winter, so tracks would be easy as they to spot. However, when we reached the source, we ended up finding something a lot more gruesome. We came across the dead bodies of a man and woman. The man had a crossbow bolt in his stomach and looked like he had been stabbed. The woman was stabbed much worse and looked like she had been, quote, sexually used. Needless to say, we called the police. I've never been back to those woods since, and now when I got out, I wear body armor underneath my vest and always go with a partner. I'm always going to go back to the forest, and this isn't a hunting story. But here's one unknown thing that really freaked me out. I was hiking the highest peak in Utah with a small group over one-fourth of July weekend, and we had to backpack in about 12 miles to where we would set up camp. One of the guys in our group owned two pack llamas and brought them along to carry some stuff. The owner said that llamas are very territorial and will make a high-pitched gobbling sound if they feel threatened. I thought that was weird and didn't really believe him. On the second night after summiting the peak, I had a crazy headache and wasn't getting any sleep in my tiny single-person tent. I'd been laying there for hours after everyone else had gone to bed, and it was late into the night when I started hearing gobbling from the llamas in our camp. Sitting alone in a tent with no protection and not knowing what is looming around my campsite did not make for a fun night, and that was the last time I slept in a tent. In the morning, everyone said they were asleep and did not hear anything. 